Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Going Up Cast, your weekly feel-good podcast with another fantastic chapter from Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. I talk about The Mandalorian and my album of 2019. This week, we talk more about Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol in my classic audiobook style. I'd tell you what my favorite album uh, was for 2019, including some follow-ups, or some runner-ups, rather. And I talk about how great The Mandalorian is. I wanted to apologize for this episode being a day late. I'm currently not feeling well at all, so that is, uh, that's on me. That's my bad. But I hope you guys enjoy this week's uh, episode. There will not be an episode next week because of the holidays. I'm going to take that week off just to kind of recuperate. And I will see you guys all the week afterwards for more Christmas Carol. And I hope you all have a wonderful Christmas. Let's get right into this chapter. The first of three spirits. Also, I have a beer for this one, so, you know, we're going to get a bit more of a honest-to-goodness drunken treatment. When Scrooge awoke, it was so dark that looking out of bed, he could scarcely distinguish the transparent window from the opaque walls of his chamber. He was endeavoring to pierce the darkness with his ferret eyes when the chimes of a neighboring church struck the four quarters. So he listened for the hour. To his great astonishment, the heavy bell went on from six to seven, from seven to eight, and regularly up to twelve, then stopped. Twelve! It was past two when he went to bed. The clock was wrong. An icicle must have gotten in the works. Twelve. He touched the spring of his repeater to correct this most preposterous clock. Its rapid little pulse beat twelve and stopped. Why, it isn't possible, said Scrooge, that I can have slept through a whole day and far into another night. It isn't possible that anything happened to the sun, and this is twelve at noon. The idea being an alarming one, he scrambled out of bed and groped his way to the window. He was obliged to rub the frost off with his sleeve of his dressing gown before he could see anything, and could see very little then. All he could make out was that it was still very foggy and extremely cold, and there was no noise of people running to and fro, making a great stir, as there being unquest- as there unquestionably would have been if the night had been beaten off bright day and taken possession of the world. This was a great relief because three days, um, three days after sight of this first exchange paid Mr. Ebenezer Scrooge or his order and so forth would have become a mere United States security if there were no days to count by. I don't know what the fuck does any of that means, but who cares? Scrooge went to the bed again and thought and thought and thought it over and over and over and could make nothing of it. The more he thought, the more perplexed he was. And the more he endeavored not to think, the more he thought. Marley's ghost bothered him exceedingly. Every time he resolved within himself, after mature inquiry, that it was all a dream, his mind flew back again, like a strong spring released to its first position and presented the same problem to be worked all through. Was it a dream or not? Scrooge lay in this state until the chime had gone three quarters more when he remembered on a sudden that the ghost had warned him of a visitation when the bell tolled one. He resolved to lie awake until the hour was past, and considering that he could no more go to sleep than go to heaven, this was perhaps the wisest resolution in his power. The quarter was so long that he was more than once convinced he must have sunk into a doze unconsciously and missed the clock. At length, it broke upon his listening ear. Ding dong! A quarter past, said Scrooge counting. Ding dong! Half past, said Scrooge. Ding dong! A quarter to it, said Scrooge. Ding dong! The hour itself, said Scrooge triumphantly, and nothing else. He spoke before the hour bell sounded. 
which it now did with a deep, dull, hollow, melancholy one. Light flashed up in the room upon the instant, and the curtains of his bed were drawn. The curtains of his bed were drawn aside, I tell you, by a hand. Not the curtains at his feet, nor the curtains at his back, but those with which his face was addressed. The curtains of his bed were drawn aside, and Scrooge, staring up in a half-recumbent attitude, found himself face to face with an unearthly visitor who drew them, as close to it as I am now to you, and standing in the spirit at your elbow. And I'm standing in the spirit at your elbow. Hey, Dickens. You wrote a really good book. This is good shit. Good job. Proud of you. It was a strange figure, like a child, not so like as an old man, viewed through some supernatural medium which gave him the appearance of having receded from view and being diminished to a child's proportions. Its hair, which hung about its neck and down its back, was white as if with age that the face had not a wrinkle on it, and the tenderest bloom was on the skin. The arms were very long and muscular, the hands the same, as if its hold were of uncommon strength. Its legs and feet, most delicately formed, were, like those upper member, bare. It wore a tunic of the purest white, and round its waist bound a lustrous belt, the sheen of which was beautiful. It held a branch of fresh green holly in its hand, and, in singular contradiction of that wintry emblem, had its dress trimmed with summer flowers. But the strangest thing about it was that from the crown of its head sprung a bright clear jet of light, by which all was visible, and which was doubtless the occasion of its using, in its duller moments, a great extinguisher for a cap, which was now held under its arms. Even this, though, when Scrooge looked at it with increasing steadiness, was not its strangest quality. For at its belt sparkled and glittered now in one part, now in another, and what was light one instant, another time was dark. So the figure itself fluctuated in its distinctness, being now a thing with one arm, now with one leg, now with twenty legs, now a pair of legs without a head, now a head without a body, of which dissolving parts no outline would be visible, and in the dense gloom wherein they melted away. And in the very wonder of this, it would be itself again distinct and clear as ever. That sounds like some live crafty and horror nightmare shit. And what the fuck, Dickens? Jesus! I thought it was goofy! Or who the fuck? It was like some weird, like, CG baby, I guess, in the Muppet Christmas Carol. Some fucking, like, so all of a sudden, a million legs! One eye! No head! Here's some hands! Fucking Jesus. Jesus, Dickens. Anyway. Are you the spirit, sir, whose coming was foretold to me? Asked Scrooge. I am! The voice was soft and gentle, singularly low, as if instead of being so close beside him, they were at a distance. Who? And what are you? Scrooge demanded. I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past? Inquired Scrooge, observant of its dwarfish stature. No, your past, silly. Perhaps Scrooge could not have told anybody why, if anybody could have asked him, but he had a special desire to see the spirit in his cap and begged him to be covered. What? exclaimed the ghost. Would you so soon put out with worldly hands the light I give? Is it not enough that you are one of those whose passions made this cap and forced me through whole trains of years to wear it low upon my brow? Scrooge reverently declaimed that all intention to offend or any knowledge of having willfully bonneted the spirit at any period in his life, he then made a bold he made he then made bold to inquire what business brought him there. Your welfare, said the ghost. Scrooge expressed himself much obliged, for could not help thinking that a night of unbroken rest would have been more conductive to that end. The spirit must have heard him thinking, for it said immediately, Your reclamation, then! Take heed! Put out its strong hand as it spoke and clasped him gently by the arm. Rise! And walk with me! 
It would have been in vain for Scrooge to plead that the weather and the hour were not adapted to pedestrian purposes, that bed was warm and the thermometer a long way below freezing, and that he was clad but lightly in his slippers, dressing gown, and nightcap, and that he had a cold upon him at the time. The grasp, though gentle as a woman's hand, was not to be resisted. He rose, but finding that spirit made towards the window, clasped his road in supplication. But I am mortal, Scrooge remonstrated, and liable to fall. Bear but a touch of my hand there, said the spirit laying upon his heart, and you shall be upheld in more than this. Uh, excuse me. It's like a it's like a weirdly throaty little finger. Um, as his words were spoken, they passed through the wall to, and stood upon an open country road with field on either hand. The city had entirely vanished. Not a vestige of it was to be seen. The darkness and the mist had vanished with it, for it was a cleared cold winter day with snow upon the ground. Good heaven! said Scrooge, clasping his hands together and looked about him. I was bred in this place. I was a boy here. The spirit gazed upon him mildly. Its gentle touch, though it had been light and instantaneous, appeared still present to the old man's sense of feeling. He was conscious of a thousand odors floating in the air, each one connected with a thousand thoughts and hopes and joys and cares long, long forgotten. Your lip is trembling, said the ghost. And what is that upon your cheek? Scrooge muttered with an unusual catching in his voice that it was a pimple, and begged the ghost to lead him where he would. "'You recollect the way?' inquired the spirit. "'Remember it!' cried the Scrooge with fervor. "'I can walk it blindfold!' "'Strange to have forgotten it for so many years,' observed the ghost. "'Let us go on!' They walked along the road, Scrooge recognizing every gate, post, and tree, until a little market town appeared in the distance, with its bridge, its church, and winding river. Some shaggy ponies now were seen trotting toward them with boys upon their backs, who called to other boys in country gigs and carts driven by farmers. All these boys were in great spirits and shouted to each other until the broad fields were so full of merry music and crisp air laughed to hear it. "'These are but shadows of the things that have been,' said the ghost. "'They have no consciousness of us.' The jocund travelers came on, and as they came, Scrooge knew and named every one. Why, he was rejoiced beyond all bounds to see them. Why did his cold eye glisten and his heart leap up as they went past? Why was he filled with gladness when he heard them give each other Merry Christmas, as they parted at crossroads and byways for their several homes? What was Merry Christmas to Scrooge? Out upon Merry Christmas! What good had it ever done to him? The school is not quite deserted, said the ghost. A solitary child neglected by his friends is left there. What a little bastard! Scrooge said he knew it, and he sobbed. They left the high road by a well-remembered lane and soon approached a mansion of dull red brick with a little weathercock surmounted cupola on the roof and a bell hanging in it. It was a lodge house, one but one of broken fortunes, for the spacious offices were little used, their walls were damp and mossy, their windows broken, and their gates decayed. Fowls clucked and strutted in the stables, and the coach houses and sheds were overrun with grass. Nor was it more retentive of its ancient state within for entering the dreary hall and glancing through the open doors of many rooms. They found them poorly furnished, cold, and vast. This was an earthy savor in the air, a chilly bareness in the place which associated itself somehow with much too getting up by candlelight. With too much getting up by candlelight, and not much to eat. They went, the ghost and Scrooge, along the hall to a door at the back of the house. It opened before them and disclosed a long, bare, melancholy room made bare still by the lines of plain deal forms and desks. At one of these, a lonely boy was reading near a feeble fire, and Scrooge sat down upon a form and wept to see his poor forgotten self as he used to be. Not a latent echo in the house, not a squeak and scuffle from the mice behind the paneling, not a drip from the half-thawed water spout in the dull yard behind, not a sigh among the leaveless boughs of one poor, despondent poplar, not the idle swinging of an empty storehouse door, no, not a clicking in the fire, but fell upon the heart of Scrooge with a softening influence 
and gave a freer passage to his tears. The spirit touched him on the arm and pointed to his younger self, intent upon his reading. Suddenly, a man in his foreign garments, wonderfully real and distinct to look at, stood outside the window with an axe stuck in his belt and leading by a bridle an ass laden with wood. Why, it's Alibaba! Scrooge exclaimed in ecstasy. It's dear old honest Alibaba! Yes, yes, I know! One Christmas time, when yonder solitary child was left here all alone, he did come! For the first time, just like that. Poor boy! And Valentine! Said Scrooge. And his wise brother Orson! There they go! And what's his name? Who was put down in his drawers asleep at the gate of Damascus? Don't you see him? And the Sultan's groom turned upside down by the genie! And there he is upon his head! Serve him right! I'm glad of it! What business had he to be married to the princess? Dear Scrooge, expending all the earnesty, earnestness of his nature on such subjects in a most extraordinary voice between laughing and crying, to see his heightened and excited face would have been a surprise to the business friends in the city indeed. There's the parrot, cried Scrooge. Green body and yellow tail with a thing like a lettuce growing out the top of its head. There he is. Poor Robin Crusoe, he called him when he came home again after sailing round the island. Poor Robin Crusoe. Where have you been, Robin Crusoe? The man thought he was dreaming, but he wasn't. It was, it was like the parrot, you know. There goes Friday, running for his life with that little creek. Hello, a hoop, hello. There was rapidity of transition very foreign to his usual character, he said in the pity of his former self. Poor boy. And cried again. I wish. Scrooge muttered, putting his hand into his pocket and looking at him after drying his eyes with his cup. But it's too late now. What is the matter? Asked the spirit. Nothing, said Scrooge. Nothing. There was a boy singing a Christmas carol at my door last night. I should have liked to give him something, that is all. The ghost smiled thoughtfully and waved his hand, saying as it did, Let us see another Christmas. And it's not one where you're just reading a book like a sad sack. Since this is one of the episodes closest to the end of the year, in fact, there's only a couple of more before we're in 2020, I want to talk about some of my favorite pieces of media that have come out in the year 2019. And the first one I want to start with is Album of the Year. Now, this one, I went back and forth for a really long time, but in terms of sheer amount that I listened to it based on my listening uh, data, my like uh, stats from Spotify, I have to say that my number one album of the year was, oh God, I need to look it up because it's, it's a fucking, it's a, it's a title and I want to get it right. All right, hold on. It was, drum roll. Legends Beyond the or Legends from Beyond the Galactic Terror Vortex by Glory Hammer. That's my album of the year. It's a 50-minute-long power metal album, and it is quite possibly the greatest power metal album I have ever heard. It is the third album in a series of albums surrounding this really intense lore that this band has developed. Uh, to support its music. The band members are all different characters in this, like, epic space battle. And there's the evil um, uh, Emperor Zargothrax, and it's just this huge, this huge fucking thing. It's this intense story. Epic space battle, like Star Wars-level shit. And the music surrounding it is incredible, and I love it. And it's got such incredible song titles as The Power of the Laser Dragon Fire, uh, legendary Enchanted Jetpack, Masters of the Galaxy, and The Land of Unicorns. This shit is like high space fantasy as fuck, and I love it. And I saw these guys in concert twice, um, but when they came around as a headlining band, 
for their own show with this album. I had to be there, and it was fucking amazing. I love these guys. If you know the band Ailstorm, you will know this band because the lead singer of Ailstorm is the keyboardist for Glory Hammer. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. And I presume he helps write the lyrics and stuff like that. Um, I don't exactly know. I'm pretty sure, but I'm not 100%. But it is, it's a phenomenal album. And if you if you like metal, if you like power metal, um, and if you like space shit, and you like albums that are a little tongue-in-cheek, but at the same time you're sitting there being like, yeah, this is awesome. You're going to like Legends from Beyond the Galactic, Terra Vortex, Glory Hammer, Andrew Logan's album of 2019. Now, I do want to make a reference to the runner-up. Like I said, I was back and forth between two albums uh, for quite some time. And the other album that came out this year I do want to make special reference to is Moon Glow by Aventasia. I flew to San Jose to watch this album be performed live in front of me. So, I liked it, for long story short. The reason I like Glory Hammer a bit more is because there was like a month straight where that was all I listened to. And while I enjoy Moonglow, and there are some albums on here that I, or some songs on Moonglow that I personally believe are actually flawless, that is also the case for Legends from Beyond the Galactic Terror Vortex. The final song on Legends from Beyond the Galactic Terror Vortex uh, called The Fires of Ancient Cosmic Destiny is a song that I would argue is objectively flawless. So there is that. At the same time, the song The Raven Child off of Moonglow is another song I would argue is objectively flawless. So, you know, kind of kind of a tie on that one like there's two songs across these things that are just straight up perfect uh i think glory hammer edges it out because while i do very much love Moonglow, there is a cover on it it's not a bad cover it's a good cover but there is a cover on it and that kind of knocks it down a little bit for me because it's like you you worked so hard to make a 70 minute long power metal album and you snuck in a fucking cover and it's it's not a bad cover i don't mind that it's there but the fact that uh legends from beyond the galactic terror vortex is a cohesive story and it's a whole element that kind of edges it out in my head and um as as much as i love moonglow there are still songs in here that i don't know what the fucking words are and i don't really know what the song is about that's not the case with glory hammer i know what all the words are in that one and i know what the fuck's going on there and it's because the story is a lot easier to pick up, I think. Um, because the lyrics in Avatasia are incredibly dense and complex. That's not a bad thing. Um, it's just a bit more approachable, uh, Glory Hammer. That being said, Moonglow has been fucking topping charts all over the place. So there's that as well. And um, while I'm at it, um, I already named what my number one was. But I do want to briefly mention... Uh, the, the the another album that came out this year because it's also very good not as good as these other two in my opinion at least because I've listened to those like beginning to end many many times and this one I've heard a lot and it is very good but I just want to mention it real quick Devin Townsend Empath was another incredible album that came out this year it has some beautiful songs on there Spirits Will Collide is another song that I would argue is objectively flawless um, so that one kind of shoots right to the top uh, but that one's just a bit more... That one's got a lot fucking going on, I'll be honest. If you if you don't like metal, um, and like really like metal, then you're probably not going to enjoy this album. 
because uh, it goes some places and does some things. But Glory Hammer gets the top spot. Congratulations, Glory Hammer, on winning this amazing award. Woohoo! Good job, album of the year. Make another one. I want, I want Glory Hammer for 2020. Let's make it happen. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. Self grew larger at the words, and the room became a little darker and more dirty. The planet was shrunk, and the windows cracked. The fragments of plaster fell out of the ceiling, and the naked lathes were shown instead. But how all this was brought about, Scrooge knew no more than you do. He only knew that it was quite correct, and everything had happened so. And there he was, all alone again, when all the other boys had gone home for the jolly holidays. Jolly holidays. He was not reading now, but walking up and down despairingly, Scrooge looked at the ghost with a mournful shaking of his head, glanced anxiously towards the door. It opened, and a little girl, much younger than the boy, came darting in, put her arms around his neck, and offering to kiss him, addressed to him as her dear, dear brother. Do-do-do-do-do. <clears throat> um, I've come to bring you home, dear brother, said the child, clasping her tiny hands and bending down to laugh. To bring you home, home, home. Home, little fan, returned the boy. Yes, said the child, brimming, brimful of glee. Home, for all good and all. Home, forever and ever. Father is so much kinder than he used to be. Home's like heaven. He spoke so gently to me one dear night when I was going to bed, and I was not afraid to ask him once more if you might come home. And he said, yes, you should, and sent me in um, a coach to bring you. And you're to be a man, said the child, opening her eyes. And you're never coming back here, but first, we're to be together all Christmas long and have the merriest time in all the world. You're quite a woman, little fan, exclaimed the boy. She clasped her hands and laughed and tried to touch his head, but being too little, laughed again and stood on tiptoe to embrace him. Then she began to drag him in her childish eagerness towards the door. He, not loath to go, accompanied her. A terrible voice in the hall cried, Bring down Master Scrooge's box there! And in the hall appeared the schoolmaster himself who glared on Master Scrooge with a ferocious condensation. Um, nope. Condensation. Condensation. To be con... He's, he's being condescending. So, condescension. Condescension. There we go. And threw him into a dreadful state of mind by shaking hands with him. He then conveyed him and his sister into the veriest old well of a shivering best parlor that was ever seen, where the maps upon the wall and the celestial and terrestrial globes in the windows were waxy with cold. Here he produced a decanter of a curiously light wine and a block of curiously heavy cheese and administered installments of those dainties to the young people at the same time sending out a meager servant to offer a glass of something to the postboy who answered uh, that he thanked the gentleman but if it was the same tap he had tasted before he had rather not. The master Scrooge's trunk being by his time tied on the top of the chase, the child bade the schoolmaster goodnight right willingly and getting into it drove gaily down the garden sweep, the quick wheels dashing the hoar frost and snow from the dark leaves of the evergreens like spray. Who is it? Oh, no, it's the ghost. Um, fuck, what was it? It was kind of like, um, oh God, I've lost it. Um, always a delicate creature. Oh, there we go. Whom a breath might have withered, said the ghost, but she had a large heart. So she had, cried Scrooge. You're right. I will not gainsay it, spirit. God forbid. She died a woman, said the ghost, and had, I think, a children. One children, Scrooge returned. True, said the ghost. Your nephew. Scrooge seemed uneasy in his mind and answered briefly, yes. Although they had but the moment left the school behind them, they were now in the busy thoroughfares of a city where the shadowy passengers passed and, re and repassed, where shadowy carts and coaches battled for the way and all the strife and tumult of a real city were. It was made plain enough by the dressing in the shops that here, too, it was Christmas time again, but it was evening and the streets were lighted up. Lit? Sure. 
The ghost stopped of a certain warehouse door and asked Scrooge if he knew it. Knew it, said Scrooge. Was I apprenticed here? Was I? I can't remember. They went in. At the side of an old gentleman in a Welsh wig sitting behind such a high desk that if he had been two inches taller, he must have knocked his head against the ceiling. Scrooge cried in great excitement. Why, it's old Fezziwig! Bless his heart, it's Fezziwig's alive again! Old Fezziwig laid down his pen and looked up at the clock, which pointed to the hour of seven. He rubbed his hands and adjusted his capricious waistcoat. Or capious. Copious? Capacious. There we go. Laughed himself all over from his shoes to his organ of benevolence. From his shoes to his organ of benevolence. Probably his brain. I'm going to guess it's his donger. And called out in a comfortable, oily, rich, fat, jovial voice. No, ho, ho, there, Ebenezer, dick. Scrooge's forms. <laughs> it says that. Look at it. Page 35. It says it. Yo, ho, there, Ebenezer, dick. That's what it says. It's, it's in the book. It's right there. Scrooge's former self, now a grown young man, came in briskly, accompanied by his fellow apprentice. Oh, I guess Dick is his fellow apprentice. Dick Wilkins, to be sure, said Scrooge to the ghost. Bless me, yes, there he is. He was very much attached to me, was Dick. Poor Dick. Dear, dear. Oh, my boys, said Fezziwig. No more work tonight, Christmas Eve, Dick. Christmas, Ebenezer. Let's have the shutters up cried old Fezziwig with sharp claps of his hands. Before man can say Jack Robinson. You wouldn't believe how those two fellows went at it. They charged in the streets with the shutters. One, two, three, had him up in their place. Four, five, six, buried him and pinned him. Seven, eight, nine, and came back before you could have gotten to twelve, painting like racehorses. Hilly ho, cried old Fezziwig, skipping down from the high desk with wonderful agility. Clear away, lads. Let's have lots of room here. Hilly ho, Dick. Cheer up, Ebenezer. Clear away! There was nothing they wouldn't have cleared away or couldn't have been cleared away with old Fezziwig looking on. It was done in a minute. Every movable was packed off as if it were dismissed from public life forevermore. The floor was swept and watered. Why would you water the floor? I guess mopping it? Sure. The lamps were trimmed. Fuel was heaped upon the fire and the warehouse was as snug and warm and dry as and um and bright as or bright a ballroom as you would desire to see upon a winter's night. In came a fiddler with a music book and went up to the lofty desk, made an orchestra of it, tuning like 50 stomach aches. And tuned like 50 stomach aches. Sure. In came Mrs. Fezziwig, one vast substantial smile. In came the three Mrs. Fe Miss Fezziwigs, beaming and love lovable. In came the six young followers whose hearts they broke. In came all the young men and women employed in the business. In came the housemaid with her cousin, the baker. In came the cook with her brother's particular friend. Uh, the milkman and the boy from over the way who was suspected of not having bored enough from his master trying to hide himself behind a girl from next door but one who proved to have had her ear pulled by her mistress and they all came one after another some shyly <clears throat> some boldly some gracefully some awkwardly some pushing some pulling and they all came anyhow and everywhere away they all went 20 couple at once ha hands half round and backs against the other way, down the middle, and up again, round and round, in various stages of affectionate grouping. Old top couple always turning in the wrong place, new top couple starting off again. As soon as they got there, all top couples at last, and not a bottom one to help them. When this result was brought about, old Fezziwig's clapping hands to stop the dance, cried out, Well done! And the fiddler plunged his hot face into the pot of porter, especially provided for that purpose. But scorning the rest... 
Upon his reappearance, he instantly began again, though uh, there were no dancers yet, as if the old fiddler had been carried home exhausted on a shutter, he were a brand new man resolved to beat him out of sight or perish. There were more dances, and there were forfeits, and more dances, and there was cake, and there was negus. Okay, I'm going to Google that one. Hold on. N-E-G-U-S. Negus. A hot drink of port sugar, lemon, and spices. Oh, that sounds lovely. Mmm. There was a great piece of cold roast. There was a great piece of cold boiled. And there were mince pies and plenty of beer. But the great... Oh, plenty of beer! Mmm. Nice. But the great effect of the evening came after the roast and the boiled. When the fiddler, an artful dog mind, the sort of man who knew his business better than you or I could have told him, stuck up Sir Roger de Coverley. Then old Fezziwig stood out to dance with Mrs. Fezziwig. Top couple, too, with a good stiff piece of work cut out for them. Three or four or twenty pairs of partners. People who were not to be trifled with. People who would dance and had no notion of walking. But if they had been twice as many off four times, old Fezziwig would, would have been a match for them. And so would Mrs. Fezziwig. As to her, she was worthy to be his partner in every sense of the term. If that's not high praise, tell me higher and I'll use it. A positive light appeared to issue from Fezziwig's calves. They shone in every part of the dance like moons. You couldn't have predicted at any given time what would become of them next. And when old Fezziwig and Mrs. Fezziwig had gone all through the dance, advance and retire both hands to your partner, bow and curtsy, corkscrew, thread the needle, and back to your place, Fezziwig cut... Cut so deftly, he appeared to wink with his legs and came upon his feet again without a stagger. There's a little drawing here of the Fezziwig, and they look terrible. Well, it is high time I finally dove into some of this amazing Disney Plus original content that people have been telling me so much about, and I decided to start it off by watching the show that fucking everybody is watching, that's The Mandalorian. I have seen the first four episodes of it. There are two more that I haven't seen yet, including the one that came out this past Friday. And I wanted to talk about it a little bit. Just a little bit. I don't I don't want to get too deep into, like, spoilers or really what the show is about so much. Because what the show is about doesn't particularly matter. Um, I just wanted to talk about things that the show does and why I think you should watch it, even if you don't like Star Wars. So, it is set in the grander universe of Star Wars, but it's so far removed from, like, the movies and that kind of core storyline that it doesn't matter. Like, it's described as being, like, a space western show. And I feel like that hits the nail on the head pretty damn well. It is anthological to the point that you almost don't need to watch the first episode in order to enjoy the second episode. The The character of the Mandalorian, Mandalorian, the main character, is such an everyman that it doesn't matter. You know? Like, there's a little bit of his backstory. We know little bits about him. But you really get a sense of the character through his actions. And it's a fucking clinic on acting where you can't fucking see the face. Because one of the gimmicks about the Mandalorian is that he never takes off the fucking helmet. So we never see his face. And everything he does is with body language. And that's an impressive thing. Like, you can hear him and he talks. But his ability to convey those emotions without facial expressions is very impressive. Extremely impressive. Like, you should watch the show just for that. 
The music is phenomenal. The amount of money being pumped into this show from like a f- special effects, set design, costume design, believable world point of view is unreal. Like Game of Thrones was a believable place. Everything in that show felt real. You know, it all felt like it really existed, except when they were inconsistent in the geography. Like when you look at pictures of King's Landing throughout the show, it like fucking changes every other episode. It's like it's completely different every time Um, outside of like inconsistencies like that. Westeros feels real. The wall was a real place. Castle Black seemed to make sense. Winterfell, it all it was all there. You know, same with Lord of the Rings, like Minas Tirith. That's a real fucking city. You could have gone there. That's how believable that shit was. The Mandalorian, absolutely. And this place feels legit. It feels like a natural part of the Star Wars universe. And in terms of modern day Star Wars entertainment, like Rogue One, Solo, like all this other spinoff shit, this is my favorite piece of Star Wars visual media that is live action that they have put out since they got the license. I like this better than all the Star Wars movies that have been released. I like The Mandalorian better. It's a, it's a, like, it's away from all that other shit, so it's not bogged down with fan service. There's a little bit here and there, especially with one of the, uh, the side characters. There's a little bit of it, but it's not in-your-face obtrusive. It is done for the sake of moving forward its own story. It isn't like, you know, they're not just saying like, what's your name? Oh, my name's Jeffrey Skywalker. Like, they're not doing that. It's not, it's not like that. It's, it is really genuinely good. And it has some elements like, I'm a sucker for a good montage. And there's a good montage in like every episode of the show. And I'm just like, yes, I fucking love that shit. So yeah, the, the character designs and the execution of the characters is excellent. The money is being spent incredibly well, and it looks and feels amazing to watch. The music is solid. The fact that there is an overarching storyline, but it is not necessary to enjoy individual episodes is really nice. And then, of course, my favorite part is the casting, where I'm watching that show, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm, like, leaning back in my my couch, like, looking at it, being like, is that fucking... Is that Nick Nolte? That's Nick Nolte. That Carl Weathers, Warner Herzog, like there's a lot of really big fucking names in this show, and it's awesome, and it's fun to be able to be like watching the the credits, and because it's like, like there's a couple of extras here and there, but the credits in terms of like casting are like three or four names, like it's a really kind of intimate show. There's one episode where there's two fucking characters and then a fuck ton of Jawas, like that's the whole episode. And it's entertaining. And you're on the edge of your seat and you're watching this shit. And it's like, it's cut like a movie, but it's not cut badly. It is it is legitimately really good. And these characters that they keep introducing and like for a single episode are incredibly interesting. And you learn so much about them in the brief amount of time you spend with them. And it's wonderful. And what I also enjoy about the show is that if I hadn't looked it up, I would not be able to tell you where this show really falls within the canon. It's post-Empire, I'll tell you that much. But, like, exactly how far down post-Empire, it is not clear. It is not clear. So, you would have to look it up to know specifically when it is post-Empire. And I think once the show is fully out, then maybe I'll come back uh, to the Mandalorian and just talk full spoilers. But for right now, all I'll say is you should watch the show, 
even if you don't like Star Wars. I think it is removed away enough that it can just stand on its own. You don't have to necessarily associate it with Star Wars. But if you do associate it with Star Wars, there's a lot in here for you to sink your teeth into. There's some hidden shit. There's some Easter eggs. There's some shit going on excuse me, in the show that you can enjoy. So The Mandalorian gets my full recommendation. I think it's fantastic. It's it's a wonderful show. I'm super bummed we're only getting eight episodes in season one, but I'm super excited that they've already signed on for season two. Let's get more Mandalorian. And Disney, if you're listening, which I fully doubt you are, make more shit like this. This is great. This is really good. As much as I love fucking Jeff Goldblum, I don't need, <laughs> I don't need him to talk about ice cream all the goddamn time. I don't, I don't need that. That's lovely and pleasant and I like it, but the Mandalorian is way fucking goddamn. That's just, that's just good shit. Mandalorian, full recommendation. Check it out. Let's move on to the next thing. When the clock struck 11, this domestic ball broke up. Mr. and Mrs. Fezwick took to their stations, one on either side of the door and shaking hands with every person individually as he or she went out, wished him a her a Merry Christmas. When everybody had retired but the two princesses, they did the same with them and thus the cheerful voice died away and the lads were left to their beds, which were under a counter in the back shop. During this, during the whole of this time, Scrooge had acted like a man out of his wits. His heart and soul were on the scene with his former self. He corroborated everything, remembered everything, enjoyed everything, and underwent the strangest agitation. It was not until now, when the bright faces of his former self and Dick were turned from them, that he remembered the ghost and became conscious that he was looking full upon him when the light upon its head burnt very clear. A small matter, said the ghost, to make these silly folks so full of gratitude. Small, echoed Scrooge. The spirit sighed to him, or signed to him to listen to the two apprentices, who were pouring out their hearts in praise of Fezziwig. When he had done so, said, Why? Is it not? He had spent but a few pounds... Oh. Ah, uh, okay. Why? Is it not? He had spent but a few pounds of your mortal money. Through your fall, perhaps. Is that so much that he deserves this praise? It isn't that, said Scrooge, heated by the remark and speaking unconsciously like his former not his latter self. It isn't that, spirit. He has the power to render us happy or unhappy, to make our service lighter burdensome, a pleasure or a toil. Say that his power lies a... Uh, well, it said he sounded like his younger self, so here we go. Say that his power lies in words and looks, in things so slight and insignificant that it, it is impossible to add and count them up. What then? The happiness he gives, it is quite as great as if it costs a fortune. He felt the spirit glance and stopped. What is the matter? Asked the ghost. Nothing particular. Something, I think. The ghost insisted. No, said Scrooge. No, I should like to be able to say a word or two to my clerk just now, that's all. His former self turned down the lamps and gave it, and he gave utterance to the wish, and Scrooge and the ghost again stood side by side in the open air. My time grows short, observed the spirit. Quick! It was not addressing to Scrooge, nor to anyone whom he could see, but it produced an immediate effect. For again, Scrooge saw himself. He was older now, a man in the prime of his life. His face had not harsh, had not the harsh and rigid lines of later years. But it began to wear the signs of care and avarice. There was an eager, greedy, restless motion in the eye which showed the passion that had taken root and where the shadow of the growing tree would fall. He was not alone, but sat by the side of a young, fair girl in mourning dress who, in whose eyes were there were tears, which sparkled in the light that shone out of the ghost of Christmas past. It matters little, 
She said softly, to you, very little. Another idol has displaced me, and if it can count cheer and comfort you in time to come, as I would have tried to do, I have no just cause to grieve. What idol has displaced you, he rejoined. A golden one. This is the even-handed dealing of the world, he said. There is nothing on which it is so hard as poverty. There is nothing it professes to condemn with such severity as the pursuit of wealth. You fear the world too much, she answered gently. All of your other hopes have merged into the hope of being beyond the chance of its sordid reproach. I have seen your nobler aspirations fall off one by one until the master possession gain engrosses you. Have I not? What then? He retorted. Even if I have grown so much wiser, what then? I am not changed toward you. She shook her head. Am I? Our contract is an old one. It was made when we were both poor and content to be so, until in good season we could improve our worldly fortune by our patient industry. You are changed. When it was made, you were another man. I was a boy, he said impatiently. Your own feelings tell you that you are not what you are, she returned. I am. That which promised happiness when we were one in heart is fraught with misery now that we are two. How often and how keenly I have thought this, I will not say. It is enough that I have thought this and can release you. Have I ever sought release? In words? No, never. In what, then? In changed nature, in altered spirit, in another atmosphere of life, another hope at its great end. In everything that made my love of any worth or value in your sight. If this had never been between us, the girl looked mildly, but with steadiness, upon him. Tell me, would you seek me out and try to win me now? No. He seemed to yield to the justice of this supposition, in spite of himself, but he said with struggle, You think not. I would gladly think otherwise if I could, she answered. Heavens knows, when I have learned a truth like this, I know how strong and irresistible it must be. But if you were free today, tomorrow, yesterday, even can even I believe that you would choose a dowerless girl? You, who in your very confidence were their way everything by gain, or choosing her, if for a moment you were false enough to your, uh, false enough to your one guiding principle to do so, do I not know that your rep uh, repentance and regret would surely follow? I do. And I release you with a full heart for the love of him you once were. He was about to speak, but with her head turned from him, she resumed. You may. The memory of what is past half makes me hope you will have this pain, have pain in this. A very, very brief time, and you will dismiss the recollection of it gladly as an unprofitable dream from which it happened well that you awoke. May you be happy in the life you have chosen. She left him, and they parted. Spirit, said Scrooge, show me no more. Conduct me home. Why do you delight to torture me? One shadow more, exclaimed the ghost. No more, cried Scrooge. No more. I don't wish to see it. Show me no more. But the relentless ghost pinioned him in both his arms and forced him to observe what happened next. <clears throat> they were in another scene, place, a room not very large or handsome, but full of comfort. Near the winter fire sat a beautiful young girl, so like the last that Scrooge believed it was the same until he saw her. Now a comely matron sitting opposite her daughter. The noise in this room was perfectly tumultuous, for there were more children there than Scrooge in his agitated state of mind could count. And unlike the celebrated herd in the poem, there were not 40 children conducting themselves like one, but every child was conducting itself like 40. Consequences were uproarious beyond belief, but no one seemed to care. On the contrary, the mother and daughter laughed heartily and enjoyed it very much. And the latter soon began to mingle in the sports got pillaged by the younger brigands more ruthlessly. What would I not have given to be one of them? Though I never could have been so rude. No, no. 
I weren't I wouldn't for the wealth of all the world have crushed that braided hair and torn it down for the precious little shoe. I wouldn't have plucked it off. God bless my soul to save my life. As to measuring her waist in sport as they did, bold young brood, I couldn't have done it. I should have expected my arm to have grown round it for a punishment and never come straight again. Yet I should have dear li dearly liked, I own, to have touched her lips, to have questioned her, that she might have opened them, to have looked upon the lashes of her downcast eyes and never raised a blush, to have let loose waves of hair, an inch of which would be a keepsake beyond price. In short, I should have liked, I do confess, to have the lightest license of a child, and yet to have been a man enough to know its value. Holy shit! Sorry, that's... That was really strong! That was really good! Fuck. That was some good shit right there. That was like... Wow. I was... I'm kind of blown away by that. That was awesome. That's good. That was good goddamn writing. Fuck. Dickens is the best. You know, quick side note. When I started um, this... this path of reading public domain books part of me was like the reason they're in the public domain is because they're not very good but that's just simply not the case they're in the public domain because they're old well first of all but it's just like that's just that's just good goddamn writing nothing in harry potter or game of thrones has struck me in the poetry of that like you know it's just that was that's really light. That's really nice. I wanna, I wanna read that like last bit again. Um, I do confess to have had the lightest license of a child that to have been man enough to know its value. I love that. But now a knocking at the door was heard, and such a rush immediately ensued that with light, uh, that she with laughing face and plundered dress was borne towards it to the center of a flushed, boisterous group, just in time to greet the father who had come home atten attended by a man laden with Christmas toys and presents. Then shouting and struggling in the onslaught uh, that was made on that defenseless porter, uh, scaling him with chairs for ladders to dive into his pockets, despoil of him brown paper parcels, hold tight uh, by his cravat, hug him round the neck, pummel his back, kick his legs with irrepressible affection. The shouts of wonder and delight with which uh, the development of every package was received, the terrible announcement that the baby had been taking in the act of putting a doll's frying pan in his mouth, and was more than suspect of having swallowed a fictitious turkey glued on a wooden platter, the immense relief of finding this a false alarm, the joy and gratitude and ecstasy, they were all indescribable alike. It's enough uh, that by degrees the children and their motions got out of the parlor, and by one stair at a time, up to the top of the house, they went to bed, and so subsided. Now Scrooge looked on more attentively than ever, when the master of the house, having his daughter leaned fondly on him, sat down with her and her mother at her own fireside, when he thought that such another creature, quite as graceful and as full of promise, might have been called him father, had been a springtime in the haggard winter of his life. His sight grew very dim indeed. Bell, said the husband, turning to his wife with a smile, saw an old friend of yours this afternoon. Who was it? Yes. How can I, tut? Don't I know? She added in the same breath, laughing as he left. Mr. Scrooge. Mr. Scrooge it was. I passed his office window, and as it was not shut up, he had a candle inside. I could scarcely help seeing him. His partner lies upon the point of death, I hear, and there he sat alone, quite alone in the world, I do believe. Spirit, said Scrooge in a broken voice, remove me from this place. I told you these were shadows of things that have been, the ghost said. That they are what they are, do not blame me. Remove me, Scrooge exclaimed. I cannot bear it. He turned to the ghost, and seeing that it looked upon him with a face in which, uh, in which, in some strange way, there were fragments of all faces it had shown him, wrestled with it. Leave me! Take me back! Haunt me no longer! 
In the struggle, it, it can be called a struggle in which the ghost, with no visible resistance on its own part, was undisturbed by any effort of its adversary. Scrooge observed that its light was burning high and bright and dimly connected that with its influence over him. He seized the extinguisher cap and by sudden action pressed it down upon its head. The spirit dropped beneath it so that the extinguisher covered its whole form. Though Scrooge pressed it down with all his force, he could not hide the light which streamed out from under it in an unbroken flood upon the ground. He was conscious of being exhausted and overcome by an irresistible drowniness and further of being in his own bedroom. He gave the cap a parting squeeze in which his hands relaxed and barely had time to reel to bed before he sank into a heavy sleep. God damn, this book is incredible. Sorry, I'm just supremely blown away by this. Um, this is awesome. Like, he battled the ghost spirit there in the end by putting its hat on? Damn, that's good. That's good shit. That's real good shit. Well, <laughs> thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of the Going Up Cast. I hope you are enjoying this as much as I am. And I am, God, I just, I want to keep going. I just want to keep reading. But we're going to have to wait till next week for Stave 3, the Ghost of Christmas Present. I want to thank you all for listening very much. It means the world to me. And I will see you all next week for another episode of the Going Up Cast. Have a good one, everyone.